Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. This show is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Love my dive bombs. You might as well go get the best silhouette that's on the market today. Those days that you got to walk your shit into to the spread, you can't beat silhouettes. They stack up like a dream. They pack up nice. The bags are awesome. The paint scheme is unmatched. Get the ones with the flocked heads. You're in the money then. So go to divebombindustries.com today. The season's here. You need silhouettes. You might as well have the best that are on the market today. Go to divebombindustries.com. Get what you need. Also, this show is brought to you by Sealight LEDs. Get those lights on your trailers. Nothing worse than pulling up to a field and fumbling around in the dark. Go to sealightleds.com today. Get your lights for your trailers. That way, you can see what the hell you're doing. Nothing worse than setting out a spread thinking that you got a masterpiece and then the sun comes up and you think, who in the hell put out this spread? So go get those lights on your trailers now. It'll help. That's sealightleds.com. The Big Honker Podcast is brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, home of the Big Honker Lodge. We are located in Knox City, Texas. That's www.stanfieldhunting.com. Been in business for over 25 years. We put them in your face. Ducks, geese, dove, whatever you want to shoot, give us a call at stanfieldhunting.com, 940-658-3172. And we have some November goose specials. I got some October pheasant and dove special. Give me a holler at stanfieldhunting.com. And the Big Honker Podcast is brought to you by 737 Duck Calls. Original design, select grade components, superior sound, and unparalleled service. 737 takes exceptional pride in producing the finest quality, best-built premium calls on the market today. They are made in America and offered only direct to the consumer from their website. Shipping in the U.S. is always free. International orders are also now accepted online. And a 20-day money-back guarantee and a lifetime warranty accompany every call. Purchase 737 Duck Calls. Lead the flock. Okay, folks. Get on that 737 Duck Calls website and use promo code HONKER and save 15% off on all your duck call purchases and apparel. That's 737DuckCalls.com. Folks, if you want a good duck call, got a goose call, jump on them and try them. If you do it, you'll always use them. They're a good company. They're good people. They, they're American-made. It is the is a great product. So anyways, I, Jeff Stanfield, am telling you, go out and try some 737 Duck Calls and go to 737DuckCalls.com and use HONKER as your promo code and save 15% off on all your purchases. Thank you. I'd like to thank Big Honker Podcast, William Chris Wines. It's William Chris Vineyards out of High Texas. Folks, if you need that wine for that special occasion, it's wedding season coming along. Zach's getting married first weekend in November. He needs to go to William Chris Wines and William Chris Vineyards and WilliamChrisWines.com. You can get a case of wine sent to you for $1. Go to promo code HONKER, H-O-N-K-E-R, coupon code for WilliamChrisVineyards.com. You can find William Chris Vineyards William Chris Wines at Bucky's, General Foods, and most other high-end retail outlets for wine. And that's WilliamChrisVineyards.com, home of Sway Rosé. And the Big Honker Podcast would like to welcome our newest sponsor, Garrison Brothers Bourbon. We are a family of bourbon makers and bourbon lovers, fully committed to proving that the finest bourbon whiskey on the planet will be born in the Texas Hill Country. A bourbon that beyond its incredible taste also has the power to fortify friendships and faith while spurring legendary stories for life. Ladies and gentlemen, the recipe for this is a glass, some ice cubes, and Garrison Brothers bourbon made in high Texas. Check them out at garrisonbrothers.com. And welcome aboard the Big Honker Podcast. All right, on this episode of the podcast, we have the OG Ron Stanfield sitting in with us talking a little bit of dog training and some of his most fond memories with young Jefferson. 
in the duck blind next to him. It's always a, a great time to have Ron on the podcast and people, they just eat him up. So um, I've had some questions. I've had some people send in about dog training. We get to those and then uh, we just riff off of that. So we even talk about what it was like training dogs in the old days before uh, the shot callers got really good. So this is a good little history lesson and it's a lot of fun to do. So here he is, the man, Ron Stanfield. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. I am Jeff Stanfield. I am Andy Shaver. You want to int- I'll introduce our you guest. You introduce the guest. Our guest today is a guy that I have known my whole life. Most of your life? I, I, I think my whole life. He was there the day I was born. and I think He says he was there the day I was conceived, but <laughs> still, that might be Bill Gates. I'm hoping it's Bill Gates, but not. I'll take my dad. Ron Stanfield's with us. How you doing, Dad? Doing fine. Thanks for having me. How you feeling? Oh, I feel pretty good, considering. You got pheasant hunting coming up here pretty quick, don't you? I'm ready. I'm anxious. Are you? I am. I really am. Getting these bonus years in now. <laughs> well, I had a lot of bonuses. You're going to be 75 next year, aren't you? I will next June. I'm 74. You're 74 still. Still feeling spry and young? <laughs> well, I'm Aging thinking su- young. Aging sucks, don't it? Thinking young. It ain't young. for us, as I tell you. Thinking young? I think... Think young all the time. Would you do anything different if you did your life over, knowing that now what you know now from when no, you? No, I don't know what it would be. I'd try to do a lot more better than I did, but I've I really feel like I've had a good life. Have you a great life? Um, your retirement's been fun, hasn't it? Yeah, mostly it has. It really has. You've been retired for what twenty something years? I retired in ninety five, so that's like twenty three years. You've hunted, you've hunted more in your retirement years than most people do in their whole life, I bet. Well, that's true. Exactly right. That's good. I had more time. You had your heart attack in 2006 is what we decided, or 2007? Uh, somewhere then. Seven. About, seven, I You think. were a freshman at Tech, weren't you? Well, that'd be six then. Yeah, it could be. It was six then because it was your freshman year at Tech. And you went to. And they told you how long? Ten years. Ten years, so you're. Two years past that. No, what Bonus he years. What, what he told him was, and I knew the guy fucked up when he told him that. The doctor told him, he said, Ron, he said, you're good for 10 years. You can do whatever you want to do for 10 years. You'll be good. And I told Michelle, I said, boy, he fucked up. He shouldn't have told dad should, that. Should have never said you're good for 10 years. Yeah, because dad lived like he was 16 again for a while. <laughs> right. And y'all went to, I'm going to tell a story on this. My dad had, would you have six bypasses? Uh-huh, six. six Bypass in 2006. Andy was a freshman at Tech, and y'all went to Hooters for your birthday, right, Andy? To eat? Yes. And Dad got to the hot. They called me. We were at Abilene at the Orthodontist with Painter Zach, and we went to. We met Dad. Tony called me from the the Haskell Hospital, or called me, and he was at the Haskell Hospital. So, hey, Dad's having an episode with his heart. He's at the Haskell Hospital, and I said, I thought him and Andy were in Lubbock. 
He goes, no, he, he started having chest pain, so he drove back to Haskell. Now, why the hell you would leave Lubbock, Texas, to come to Haskell, Texas, to go see a doctor? I have no idea. No, I didn't have pains in it and <clears throat> until I got in Haskell. I didn't have a pain when I was in Haskell. Just I had so much first aid that I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't. I never even suspected there was a heart problem. Well, then you – so I get to the hospital, and they almost let you go. They were on the verge of letting you go. And they said, no, they want to see your doctor, cardiologist wants to see you in Wichita. Because you just done a stress test, didn't you? Hadn't you? Yeah, four weeks before, they told me everything was fine. They didn't have any blockage or my heart, and my heart's muscle was strong. Come back in a year. And your blood sugar was like 570, wasn't it? It was way up there. <laughs> and, I, and I asked that doctor, me not being a cardiologist, I asked the doctor, I said, what's the norm? And under 100 is good for blood sugar, right? About that, yeah, 100, 150. And, and he told me that, and I'm like, gosh, damn, dude. I said, what did you eat? Uh, had nine ice cream sandwiches. No, it wasn't that many. How many was it? About four or five. Whatever's in the box. Yeah, and I said. No, I bought them two or three different places. And I said, Dad, I said, do you have a cooler with you? Nah, I just had to eat them real fast. <laughs> and so that was the heart attack. And so you had six bypasses. Then you've had two knee replacements lung cancer and a disease that turns into leukemia which nope. is knees replaced Did you say that yeah both knees are replaced carpal yeah. tunnel surgery torn acl or mcl or some shit and that's all since you've retired yeah last few years have been tough healthier <laughs> when you worked all the time i know it jesse's got your cure-all oh she's got it she's done the research if you drink breast milk it cures your cancer. Really? You'd be, you be cancer-free. Wow, that might be pleasant. Mm. That's so, the nastiest shit in the world. We can we can cure you, Ron, but you just got to drink a little bit of breast milk. <laughs> Put it in your coffee or something, oh. and, and you'll be you'll be good to go. God, when we babysit. find a source. Right? Mm. <laughs> when, when, Jesse's when, making it like it's going out oh. of style right now. Yeah, but you're using that. That baby's really getting fat. Ah, uh, well. We, he is getting that. Obviously, we've got extra. He, uh. When when Reese was little, and Michelle would keep Reese, I'll have her pump a little bit extra, and we'll we'll try it out. Oh, oh she would pump. <laughs> what? And I'd open up our freezer, and there'd be frozen titty milk in there. God, oh. Mm. What would you rather have? Your your dad in a coffin, or, or drinking breast milk in his coffee? I'm gonna have to go with with the, with the breast milk. But <laughs> God there? Almighty, it just that's a tough. I don't want to see it in my in my in my freezer. I thought she was gonna ask what I'd rather see. Jesse's breast milk in there or dad's frozen semen in the refrigerator. Not a damn either one of them. <laughs> but it was, oh, ooh, I, I get the heebie-jeebies over shit like that. Well, just don't make his coffee in the morning. You won't have to jack with and it. And I'll stay way away from your wife's boobies when she walks by because I do not want them suckers out getting wet. Oh, <laughs> Ron's a taker, Jesse. He said he'll uh, he'll try it. She's going to give it to her grandmother. Uh, had a brain tumor taken out this last week. We've just got... Are we really going to talk about titty milk? And anyway, she's going to give it to her grandmother to <clears throat> fight cancer. Well, I, God bless. I hope it works. But could you do it, Jeff? If, Drink if titty you, milk. If you had cancer, and they said, "Listen, <sighs> this there's there's so and Jesse has I'm not I'm not just pulling anybody's leg here. Jesse has done the research, and there is connections to uh, curing cancer and breast milk. Uh, if I if I had cancer, yeah, I would do it. But oh, would be tough. You just put it in your morning coffee oh, and you're no. done. Oh, hell no. Mm. It's like creamer. Mm. Don't worry, Ron. It'll, <laughs> it'll all be. 
Well, I got. I got. A, I got. I like my titties fake and without milk in them. <laughs> <laughs> mm. People listen to this are like these are some sick. They're shaking their heads, boy. <laughs> yeah. But these, what are you do? <laughs> these is a conversation we have around this place daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got dad's going. To, we're going to talk about some dogs. Uh, we have got a ton of ducks here. Good God, I made rounds this morning after I took dove hunters out. And we've lost, we lost, we have we've lost, lost some the, doves. We've lost and we the lost teal. The, the teal, most, we, I saw a bunch of teal still, but I didn't see near the duck numbers we had. But we're in between fronts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to Justin Mingo, and he said the guy's hunting up in northern Canada. Those gir- a lot of those places, the birds have already come through, they're afraid now. Hmm. So we're really having a big, going to have an, it's looking like an early winter. Supposed to have a bunch more rain here this weekend. Like Ron said, years back it snowed on Halloween. And that was the extent of the winter. That was the year you were born, Andy. That doesn't sound right. No three it inches is. on Halloween. 83? Yeah. I was born in 87. It snowed in 87, Dad. 83 yeah, was the year. Yeah, 83 it snowed all the winter. No, oh, it wasn't oh, in 87 right, and right, it snowed. It was right. later than that because 92 Tony, was Zach, yeah. when Zach was born. It was Zach was born because me and Tony, we were at uh, Parkway Grill and it started snowing there on Halloween night and we were drinking Red Draws. And there was a girl in there that had a white fur coat, and Chris Cope got drunk and threw up, and he puked red oh. draw, red draw all over oh, her white coat. <laughs> I'll never forget that Ooh. as long as I live. Oh, she was pissed, mm. and I did what anybody would do: I laughed my ass off there. We was training dogs down at Lake, uh, Lake Arrowhead, Scotland, by Scotland, and started raining about mid-afternoon, and by three o'clock it was it's turning to snow. By Sundown or dark, it was three inches deep, and the kids were trick or treating. And kids got screwed out of deal. I always wondered yeah. about that. Me and Andy were in Canada a couple of years ago. We were there right before Halloween. We got back, and I thought, man, these poor little bastards. We were way up in Canada, eight hours north of the border, and them keep keep all their Halloween shit out like we do at our yard. And I'm thinking, <laughs> man, that would suck because there's a lot of years you know that they don't get to do that, or they go by car. Okay, Dad, let's talk a little bit of dog training. That's what we got here. Well, we got you on here for a lot of reasons, but this one, um. um Hunting season's right around the corner. It's cool enough now. Guys, it's can here get, for most people. It's here, yeah. Everybody, a lot of people up north. In one form or the other. What What are some good trips? A guy asked me, he said, hey, when you get your dad on there asking this, how do you can you work a dog to get through the decoys? Guys are having trouble getting their dogs don't want to leave the decoys. Well, you practice what you want to do. By that, set you out some decoys and and throw the decoys where the dog swims out between the decoys and come back. And I really liked people up because I've had four dogs that would pick up the decoys when I was done hunting, and the decoys didn't bother the dog during the hunt. The dogs didn't try to pick them up. They'd swim right through them, retrieve, and come back. Mm-hmm. But I had a fetch-it-up command. and told me he'd say, fetch it up, and I'd throw a rock, a shotgun shell or something, splash it at the first decoy I want to pick up, and fetch it up. And they'd go get it and come back and clean the water. Now, would you have it? Would it? Did you have a different command for a dead bird versus a decoy? Well, the bird, dog saw the birds falling, and you didn't really have to say much. Just their name, and they go. Right. I release the dog to go retrieve something that sees fall, which is called a marked retrieve. I release them on their name. Then I use the command back if the dog don't see it. Something we practice, 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 put dummies out, birds out, whatever, and set up what we call a blind retrieve and line up the dog and send it from your side with the command back. 
and it's we do what we call lining drills. Mm-hmm. Establish a pile of decoys or dummies, I mean, out somewhere and send the dog and back away from it and send the dog. And We've got big flat open fields here, so I used to practice that at three and 400 yards. But the dog needs to leave you and go when you say back, but it needs to leave as a release if it sees a bird fall. It should really, it should, the training comes in there to keep the dog sitting beside you till you want it to go. So when you would say fetch it up, you know, that was for the decoys. Right. And then, you know, if it was a bobble the bird when it came back and drop it before it got there, right. fetch it fetch up. It up. But. Right. That makes sense. Um, one question I got for you was um, a guy wanted to kind of know the timeline of a, of a dog. He got a puppy at nine, I think it was nine weeks, and he said, hey, what's my timeline here? When do I need to start basics? When should I start advanced stuff and, and so on and so forth? So he was kind of wanting uh, <clears throat> weeks or months just to kind of know when he should be moving on. Some of that would depend on the puppy and the, the time, but when they get the puppy home, it's time to start doing something. Right. Just, you know, I like to take a pill bottle and put some pieces of rock in a little chat, about four pieces, and put it in a big pill bottle and then tighten it real tight or even tape the lid and then stick it in a sock, tie a knot in an old white sock and then tie a knot in the toe, stick that in there and then tie a knot behind it and then rattle that around and toss it down in front of a puppy if he's eight weeks old get down on its level get on your knees and keep it out in front of him you got to remember that a puppy's peripheral vision don't develop till they're a little older four or five months old maybe so it's easy to throw something and it's out of their field of vision and so they don't know what's there well the purpose of the rocks in there is shake it and clatter it i call it puppy rattle and shake it around and then roll it out in front of it and when it hits it'll clatter a little bit help it know right where it fell just this little bitty but i use it for a long time and it'll float you can do it even into the water but just they're retrievers that's half of their name no matter what kind if it's a flat coat or a curly coat or a labrador retriever chesapeake bay retriever that retrieving is half of their name so work on mm-hmm. building a fire to retrieve and then what about when's a good time? When can you safely say, okay, we need to ratchet up the training? Because we've said, you know, you need to do it 10, 15 minutes for the new ones, for the puppies. You want to quit while they still want to go, meaning even three t- tosses could be enough for some little dogs. Some of them. You can't never throw them enough. It won't be wagging their tail and running after it. But if if you overdo it, it becomes a job for some of them, and you burn them out. Mm-hmm. So you want to put them up while they still want to go. Books. There's some books out that say six minutes is all it takes to train a dog every day. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things you can do in six minutes. We had guys that used to run a four-minute mile for crying out loud. Think about a dog that can really run. You know. Yeah. They, cover a lot of ground so it basically depends on the dog whenever it's time to move on to the more advanced stuff i would say yes well you got to do your basic stuff before you do what you call advanced is when it'll stop on a whistle what are the basic what are the basics basics the dog will walk a heel, set beside you 
believe when you release it, on it, I use its name. That's just a thing with me and most of the professional trainers you'll see do that. And it's the difference between saying back, because the old 1949 books used to say back on every, every release. And, and so we've used that now just to send the dog when it don't see something fall. That means leave mm-hmm. and, and go away from you, preferably straight. That's why I was talking about doing lining drills to a, a pile that's established and you know where it's at and the dog can go straight out and straight back. And don't do, like I've seen a lot of people do, they'll go to, say, there used to be a big park I'd go to and you could watch guys drive out there and they'd get out and they'd take Fido out and they'd put him at second base and they'd send him back, and I'd say it was second base, but they'd send him out and back and out and back and then and then they're going to put some more out a little further. Well, you've established a place already that's how far the puppy needs to go. So if he breaks down when he gets there, it's not it's not nothing he's done wrong. So if you'll take your pile and your dog and yourself and go to the farthest side of the field that you're in, start working from there back towards where you're parked. That way... They're not having to stop at an old fall is what we call it in the game because mm-hmm. there's later drills for advanced, in a real advanced dog training, there's drills for all of that, the old falls and things. But you gotta, you got to remember it's got to honor its nose. Right. So if, if there were dummies or birds there a while ago, then why not look now, you know, so. Right. You back away from a pile and you can stretch it out as far as you want to walk so what would you consider uh more advanced stuff like hand signals with or is that that's, way that's advanced? where the advanced training starts is right basic a dog that's had basic training should walk at heel beside you into a dove field or to a duck blind or a dove stool or anywhere she should walk beside you set on command Walk at heel, set on command, and sit there until you release him. When I'm sending a, a dog, I I like to just stick my left hand down. I'm right-handed shooter, so I set my dog on my left side. And that dog should, if it's at heel, it's going to be facing right where your toe's pointing. And that's your job to help a dog. You teach it to heel and set. And then when you're standing there, if you've got to face your target, so that the dog sitting beside you is looking right right down the line you want it to go. Then stick your hand or not in the keep it in the neutral zone where he's really not seeing it, but it's he don't leave until he sees your hand. And then you don't take your hand and stick it out in front of him back. You just get it where you can see it and then say the word back. And you don't have to scream and holler, the dog can hear better than you, he's sitting right beside you. Be real subtle with all your things. And then if you need to push a little bit while you can get louder and more firm Mm -hmm. and you recommend just saying back don't say that's it back or that's right because you had somebody that was doing that i had a dear friend i was training his dog and i I, you talking about steve barber here yeah i figured it and i couldn't i couldn't figure out why his dog was wanting to balk about three steps away and so I'm behind him watching and watching and watching, and, and finally I caught it because I'll, 
have the dog, when we're doing the lining drills and teaching them to do the blind retrieves, you want the dog to sit beside you. And, and when it's setting that heel and looking down the line you want it to go and it's looking right where you want it, I say, that's it. When it's head pulls to the right or left, no. When it comes back to straight ahead, that's it. And I practice this. I do this. It's a part of an everyday life. So that when you walk up somewhere and you want to send a dog somewhere, you get him sitting down and he's looking where you want, that's it. Back and away they go. Well, Steve's little dog at that time, was he'd take about two steps and then they'd stop and look back up. And I got to watching. And Steve gets in a hurry with his words sometimes. Bless his heart. he say, that's it, back. Well, that's it. Sounds like sit. Mm-hmm. And so then he say back, and the dog was thinking, you said sit or what, you know, and then it'd, it'd break down. And finally I said, don't say that's it. And then say back. You got to. Slow it down. Place, yes, sir. You got to get your. Have a pause. Have have uh, some definition in there. And he worked on that. And it took me a while. I think I finally got to catch him on the phone. I couldn't get my camera to work once one when I finally figured it out. But You were going to show him. Yeah, but he, he's really going now. Have yeah. you ever trained a dog for someone that the person, the dog was smarter than the person? <laughs> yeah. Some of them. Have you know? One of the things I see up here was guys that bring their dogs back. And we have a policy that if you have a private party, you get to bring your dog. We highly discourage it because most dogs aren't any good. And I say that, and I'm not trying to be rude, but if there's ten of you guys listening to this with a dog, seven of them do you not need to hunt with nobody but yourself, probably. But we would get about three out of ten dogs are good. Would you say that's pretty close, Andy? Yeah. And uh. But those guys all think their dogs are – and guys will tell me, my dog's a master hunter and blah, blah, blah. And I haven't been to a master hunting test in a long time. But a lot of dogs that I see up here, those guys, the dog's not near trained what that dog, the, the guy thinks his dog is, and they have zero control. I would much rather have a dog up here hunting with us that's steady, that's di- that, that has a lot of discipline, that'll do that part of the work. I could care less if it retrieves, if they can just control it. But I see that guy out there walking around, so here, here. We had a guy in a duck hunt last year doing that shit. And he'd walk out in the field, and then they'd be 80 yards from the spread, and he'd come back and tell Andy, I think we need to – those mojos might be flaring them birds. No, it's your ass and that dog out there on the other side of the decoys that's flaring them because when y'all are in here, you know, I, and I'd call Andy them. I'm like, don't send – tell him not to send the fucking dog till we're done. We're going to shoot a limit of birds. Let's get done first because a training a dog, a place to train a dog is not on a guided hunt with your friends. That's not fair to them. No. Now, this is the Super Bowl of dog work as far as hunting dogs is concerned. That the way we goose hunt and the way everybody's got to be lined up and stayed down and quiet. And I'm not near as big a believer that the dog, birds won't come if they see a dog, but the dog can't be jumping up or running around when it's just here and there and everything. I, I believe you could train a dog to sit out in front of you on a goose hunt and, and you could toll it in with a tweet on the whistle once in a while and actually pull the birds right to the kill hole. But Oh, the dogs definitely work better when the dog. I mean, the, the birds. The we birds. Were, even teal hunting the other day. Uh, uh, was it Lou? Yeah. Lou, Lou was in the spread with us. I couldn't remember if it was that area. But when Lou was in the spread, if he was going to get ducks and stuff, them suckers come right to him every time. They, 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 you know, he's a black, I, and that's why I like black dogs, especially Canada goose hunting. A black dog's just creating 
you know a lot of the right kind of motion yeah the right kind of motion so right. it, it work it works good um another guy asked me how you train your dogs to field hunt when you can't use geese did is there any way to any kind of drills they can do if they're sitting in a spread of decoys to work on shooting geese because you can't mimic the birds spinning around you and stuff that's just not possible well there's a lot of things you can do you can set out some decoys and that's your next step for gun dogs, if you're going to hunt geese, or you set up a goose spread and then get down in it like you're going to hide. Because everybody's not in a blind that's like the Taj Mahal. <laughs> but set up your decoys and, and just hell if you use dummies, that's right. Blow the calls and have somebody hidden a little ways beyond you that, that you're not looking at. And while you're in the middle of a big calling blast, well, have them throw up a decoy i mean yeah a dummy and then set up and pop a gun facing that way and that works on the dog sitting being steady steadiness and then and then it gets to run through decoys and understand that's another part of your comment a while ago people bring dogs out here and they ain't never seen a spread of decoys they've never they've never laid on the ground beside their dog or have her dog sit beside him while he's laying on the ground most people's mm-hmm. dogs liable to raise their leg on them while they're <laughs> laying there if you want to do something you need to practice it and and covering up when you're hunting you can lay down on the floor and lay the puppy down on the floor and put a newspaper over it for crying out loud and teach mm-hmm. it kennel right. kennel get it comfortable getting under something and not being seen <clears throat> i mean it don't have to be a big burlap bag or a nice cornfield camo rug or something so i want to know what did you do back in the early days of dog training when their shot collars were not like they were today well there's a lot of boot shooting electrocute kind of stories and there's a lot of different ways and boot shooting yeah just be tough on them i mean there's some guys that really been brutal on their dogs in the past and and it's you know been a lot of i know a guy that was a pro one time and he'd Take a box of nines and take off down through the field and blow a whistle and bust a dog on the rear set. Really? Oh yeah. And that's how they would. That's one of the things they do. Yeah. Reach out and and touch them. What about the early days of the, of the shot collar? Well, they're like welders, the old ones. They're they're just hot, hot as hell. Oh shit! The FCC controls the power of them. The first collar I ever saw, the active collar. Is the part that goes around the dog's neck, and it had looked like dynamite wire wove all around it to a, to a, for an antenna, and had it kind of into the collar sticking up on the, had a thing to hold the collar pointing up a little bit above a dog's neck, and then the transmitter looked like a birdhouse, man. It was about ten inches wide by about four inches deep, about ten inches long the other way, and it had one big old button on the front of it, and a like a car radio antenna <laughs> one button one button it's fucking one, hot one year <laughs> this you, is it you could hold that thing up against the screen door and weld man wow. uh. i mean you fry their ass and then the original training manuals i've read some of them might even could find some somewhere but said say set and shock dog once <laughs> <laughs> say set to jerk the rope three times and then and then the fourth time, say set and shock dog again once. <laughs> and, I mean, that's the the mentality back in those days. Right. And there was a book. 
by a guy named Dr. Daniel Torta that uh, the Tritronics people sold for a while. It's called Understanding Electrical Dogs Training. Mm-hmm. And it taught people about the stimulation and the positive and negative and reinforcement. And, you know, they, they still was pretty intent cars old original ones now they're they're not quite as mean and they've got modes that aren't continuous mm-hmm. where they nick the dog i don't like cars with the bells and whistles and make sound and vibrate and all that crap i want them just push the button and but but i want to be able to cars now now won't shock over eight seconds straight Right. If some guy gets mad and he's just holding the button down, it'll stop shocking. At eight seconds. At eight seconds. Or, I mean, you know, if you were to just sit on your transmitter yeah. on accident and you got your dog in your kennel. Yeah, anything like that. That's, yeah, that's sure. kind of a fail safe. But they've got a neck where you just like like a peck on your on your wrist where where, where if you hit the uh, the momentary and then a continuous. It'll, It'll pulsate, and you can do continuous up to eight seconds when you hold, as long as you're holding the button in, up to eight up seconds. Up to eight seconds. But you can regulate the extent of the extent how of it, how by a dial. You know, you got right. one through six, one through ten. Different colors are different. The first color that I ever saw looked about like that. But this guy that I knew had a coonhound and it chase horses. And when a dog chases horses, and horses start chasing the dog, and then what's the dog going to do but come right back to you <laughs> every time? You can write that down. With a horse. The horse <laughs> in the dark. It ain't. It's not good. So anyway, he hears about these shock callers, and he orders one. Well, it comes in the mail, and he's got it, and he's all excited about it. And he said, "Well, well, the old lady gets home from work." He said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it on me, and I'm gonna have her shock me." He said, "I don't want her doing to hurt old Blue, but I just got to get control of him." <laughs> and so he puts, she comes home. He said, "Old lady, I want you to come out here with us," and he give her this transmitter. And he said, "I want you to stand right here, and I'm gonna go down to corner down there, and I'm gonna put. I've got this collar around my neck, and when I hold, raise my hand up, I want you." To push that button, and I want you to hold it down until I raise my hand again. He I was just—he was just wanting to see what it was I'm like. I want to see what it's like. Dog. I'm not going to hurt old Blue. I love that dog. He just makes me mad when he chases horses. So he goes off down to the corner, and he's standing down there. He turns around, and he raises up his hand, and she pushes that button, and he grabs his throat, and he's shaking and dancing <laughs> and bouncing around. He's just jumping up and down and holding his throat, and I said, quit, quit, quit. And she said, no, hell no. He said, don't turn loose till he raised his hand. I said, he can't raise his hand. <laughs> I jerked her hand away from that thing, and he just fell on the ground. <laughs> so, so it shocks him, and both hands go to that neck. To Blue, try ain't, that. Blue ain't never seen that collar. <laughs> <laughs> and he couldn't get his hand up to, to, <laughs> say, to say uncle. <laughs> so if you hadn't have been there, she might have fried his ass. No, he was, she was working on it. <laughs> What did he say whenever he got it, whenever he got situated? Oh, shit, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny, really. You know it had to leave a hickey on him like you can't imagine. It's smart, boy. Them old cars were strong. 
Oh, I, yeah, if, if you could weld with them, I'm sure. So you mentioned uh, the the boot shooting. How would you? I mean, how could you gauge when a dog is at a safe enough distance that you're not gonna, if you're popping it in the ass with these shells, that you're not gonna cause any permanent damage? You couldn't, and that's that's one another one of the things is guys did it, and you kind of developed a feel for it. Uh. It's not the thing to do for sure. No, no, no. It's a real, it's a real good remote deal, though. But I, I want to go on record. None of us are advocating shooting your dog as a training method. This is simply how it was done in the primitive days of the dog training world. I have been on some hunts where I wish somebody would have shot somebody. <laughs> so uh, before anybody sends me a message saying I can't believe that you said you should shoot your dog to train it, none of us are for this this is simply a history lesson so continue ron how how could you accurately or how could you gauge uh, 20 yards is far enough and it's not doing what i want so let me pop it in the ass i had a friend named bill hillman was a really uh, successful pro in the national field trial world back in the 80s and 90s and he wrote a book advice from 20 of the top pros around the country and he'd pick out a topic, and how would you deal with this? And each one of the guys, J.J. Swayze, Danny Farmer, just all big-time pros that was around this national field trials, they'd, they'd give their comments, write them down for him, and he composed this book. But one of the chapters dealt with shooting your dog. Wow. And this one guy said, well, it's easy. He said, you put your wife, have her put the raincoat on and walk down the deal and turn her back to you. <laughs> and if you hurt her, you know, that's too close. It's too close. <laughs> and that's in the book. It was. It sure was. <laughs> and see, this is, this is the How deal. How far have we come as a society? We <laughs> have really fucked up a good thing. Not shooting your wife, but I'm just saying, people had a sense of humor back then. I don't, they were serious. They weren't. Uh, they really wasn't shooting his wife. It's probably just a joke. But that's what I'm saying is this is why Kavanaugh almost got in all this trouble for oh, shit yeah. that everything right. we've we have fucked up everything. Put your old lady in a rain in a rain <laughs> slicker and make her go down the road. And if it hurts her, it's too close. I'm 50 years old and I remember a lot of this stuff because when I was a kid, this was the way Dad and them did stuff. Uh. And so and, and so a lot of this stuff is I'm is things I've heard and I know about. I remember the old retriever. I've seen dogs get popped before that are way out in the field. Some guy. Just pepper them? Just yep. to say, hey. Come in here. Because, I mean, I mean, I can imagine if you've got no way, if you've got a dog that's 100 yards, 75 yards out there that's not doing what you want it to do, you got to have some way of getting its attention. Oh, we, that's That's how they did it, I guess. Before I had dog collars and stuff. I had wrist rockets is what they call them now. But you just pop it in the ass with a... Marble. Yeah. And marbles were plentiful in the same size. It's easier to be pretty good shot with them. And there was a time I could hit a running Labrador in the dark at 80 yards. <laughs> and there's not a better remote control device in the world because you ever shock your dog once at any level... You put that collar on it, and it's he a knows. Dog. It's a different dog. He knows that he's under your right. command. Right. If he's just lollygagging along out there, and if, what you do is you don't say here until you see the marbles about to hit him, and here, boy. Yeah. Now here they come, boy. Mm -hmm. And this, this ollie dog we have here. Yeah. He respects that marble rolling by on the ground, even if I miss him. He, he, he knows. You know, if I <laughs> hit him, I can hit a wall beside him or something. Boy, here he comes. He, he knows, knows there's another one coming. So. He knows liable to be, you know. And 
But so, I hadn't thought about that. Like, you know, you add that shot collar and you're not dealing with the same dog. You're dealing right. with a dog that knows the game. One of my dearest old friends is gone nowadays, Bill Naylor. Boy, that man was fun. But he had all the tools to train a dog, but he wouldn't put the collar on his little dog until she really made him mad. And she knew it. Mm-hmm. So she'd come out of the kennel and she'd take off and she'd go up to the school or she'd all over town before he could catch her. <laughs> and then and then he'd get the collar on her, finally get somebody to help him catch her. And, and then, well, she was a perfect little lady. Mm-hmm. He, he wouldn't put it on every time. If he had to wear it every time they come out of the box, it's no big deal. You don't have to shock them, just have them right. wear it. Right. But, you know, and that's why I don't like the collars. Tritronics made a dog collar named the A180 that was probably one of the best collars for the years at getting dogs successfully trained. But then they come out with with one that had a damn warning buzz every time before you shock it. Uh Well, I had a dog named Pipe. Man, that guy was good, and he could do it all. But he laid awake at night to figure out how he could screw you at a dog (laughs) trial the next day. And... Boy, you could put one cars on him and just push the warning buzzer. Boy, he'd do a double back flip. You didn't even shock him. <laughs> so it did away. It didn't solve the purpose. Served the purpose. Right. Yeah. I, um, the collar that I have for Lou has that little beeper, and you know a lot of times that's what I just use, and he'll he'll correct whatever he's doing, except for this whining. We you we might have a. We might have a solution for this whining. You you think? I think I got a way to do it. I'm going to use some. <clears throat> pigeons and explain to what lou does so whenever if we get a big group of birds uh if you're new to the podcast if we get a big group of birds working my dog has a tendency to whine and if you shock him even if you shock him on like a two or a three something mild he'll whine louder so um you know, it's been going on for two or three years now, and you shock him at full bore, and he really whines. But even you know, so the punishment—I got no way of punishing him really. Um, you, you know, so, <clears throat> but it's only you know if we get a flock of two or three or four, it's not a big deal. But if we're if we've got a big flock, maybe fifty or a hundred or two hundred or something like that. Um, he he gets kind of antsy, and then if they swing, if they don't do it on the first pass, God help us, he gets just unruly, and it's just and it's uh, it, so far, it hasn't really cost me any flocks or anything like that. But I know the day's coming that it's going to. So, um, can you imagine the customers bitching behind your back about it too? If it uh, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, and you know, once we shoot into him, I, I'm you know I beat him and I slap him and. You know, it's just, it's... That's after the fact. It doesn't do anything. You kind of get ugly with him. I was kind of embarrassed the way you treat him. He's a, he's my black <laughs> but, he's my uh, black grandson. But the way we hunt in Texas, if we're hunting a peanut field, he hides him. He sits in between my legs because we dig holes here and we put plywood over us and he sits in between my legs. So if we have a big bunch here, I can just kind of pat him on the bottom and he's fine. Not a big, not a big deal. But if we're hunting out of those damn layout blinds and he's in his pooch palace... And I can't touch him. He he gets all he gets all worked up. And I don't even have to like if I can just put a hand on him, on his head or on his ribs or anything, doesn't whine. Not a big deal. But 
So anyway. Maybe he's upset because he's not between your legs. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. But we, you think you got a solution. What are we going to do? We're going to set up a bunch of them good old dive bomb decoys and get down like we're hunting, cover up like we're hunting. I'm going to get down in range where he can't see me. And then you're going to start blowing a call, and then I'm going to launch a wing clip pigeon, just trim one wing where they can't fly away. And while it's flying and we're popping the gun pistol at it, blanks, he's going to get a chance to look at it before it gets to the ground. And I, I think we can get that going, and I think we can create enough excitement that he can't stand it, and he'll whine, and then we can get a correction in the act. Right. I hope it works. We're going to have to drill this thing home because Lou is sick. He'll be six years old in December. Can you believe that? Just anticipation, and he likes the action. Can you believe he's going to be that old, though? No, I really can't because nope. he still acts like a puppy. I've never seen a dog that age with the energy he has, and I've never seen a dog that's such <laughs> a good house dog and a good dog that the <laughs> wife hates so bad. Six years. Time just Zooms by six your, six years ago. Your wife hates him. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she really absolutely hates the fucking dog, and that's the same because he's such a good dog. He saved me a whole lot of steps. Yeah, he has. He's done a good job. He's one of the best dogs we've had here. Yeah, he really is. Well, I hope this works. I really do. I'm tired of uh, clients looking at me like, "Oh, Jesus." <laughs> Are we really, is this really uh This is a trained dog. And what's bad is he hunts, you know, he hunts seven days a week during hunting season. I could see if I, if, if you know, I was going out two, three times a month and that's all he got and he was excited, but shit, we do it every day. Yeah, it makes a difference, you'd think. I mean, you figure the newness would wear off a little bit. I had a friend named Jesse Payne, bless his heart. He's gone now too, but he was a hunter and he, he, he was good at getting game. I don't care where he was fishing, hunting. He knew how to get the game. Been a good poacher, wouldn't he have been? He was a world-class poacher, and the federal agents was always watching for him. <laughs> Never caught him. One time he was hunting on the Russell Slough over here. He said he was in these old cattails sitting down there, hunkered down with another guy, and they were shooting some geese. And back in those days, two geese was the limit. So he said... They had three geese down, and this other goose comes rolling in, and he he shoots it. And the old game warden taps him on the shoulder, sneaked right up on him. Wow. Tapped him on the shoulder and said, sir, he said, you just shot your third goose. And he said, no, I didn't. I said, we've got four geese, but no, I just shot one other one. He said, yeah, I've been right behind you watching you, and you shot three geese. I'm going to give you a ticket. I didn't shoot but two Says that your dog? He said, "Yes, sir." He said, "Send your dog out and get that bird." He sent his dog out and come back to that bird, and it's kind of a little on the ice or something. Anyways, the game warden here when he come back said, "He said, yeah, now your dog just brought you your bird, and I'm giving you a ticket." <laughs> and then another time, Jess had a, he was a plumber by trade, and he'd been across the river from Wichita Falls in Oklahoma somewhere, and he come back with this coon hound. He called one of his friends and he said, man, I got this new coon hound. We need to take it out tonight and try it. Well, all right. So he, they leave at the appointed time and they go down south to Shoshone Park. was down about 12 miles south of Wichita by the little town of Scotland. And the river wound around and into Lake Arrowhead. 
said, you down there? And they unloaded that dog. And he said, it wasn't out of sight good. And boy, it started barking. He said, wow, look at this. This dog's going to be all right. He's already barking the trail. And he said, started barking tree. And he got up there to it. And it had a dead armadillo. Oh, no. He said, man, I beat on that, killed that armadillo. And then I beat on that dog with that armadillo. And I sent it off hunting. And went 50 yards maybe. And he said, man, it, he starts barking another trail. I said, boy, this dog's going to be all right after all. <laughs> It's got to be a coon, and same thing. It barks tree, and he gets up there where it's at, and kills another armadillo. And he Eesh. said, "I beat it some more, and sent it off hunting." And finally, on the nineteenth armadillo, he said, "I beat that dog unconscious," and started back to the truck. And oh, shit! And he said, "Boy, all at once the dog baying a trail again." He said, "Well, look at there, man. That's just going to be a coon." And he got up there, and last armadillo, he said, man, I told my buddy, he said, I ain't beating this dog no more. He thinks he can't get him fast enough. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. that, that coon hunting something I, I've never done. You ever done it, Jeff? No. Dad used to coon hunt, didn't oh, you? Wore out a lot of shoes when I was a kid hunting them. Yeah, we, we did. We Tell you a lot of what stories. What would you do? I mean, just skin them and sell the skin or what? Oh, my grandpa was a fur buyer, and I've seen as many as 2,500 coon hides in his little shed at one time. Wow. What they pay back then for a coon? About a dollar and a dime or a dollar and a quarter. And that was a lot of money back then, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, really. Yeah. 1923? No, 40, <laughs> about 1955. <laughs> that many coons, huh? Oh, man, everybody in the country, I mean, a lot of everybody had dogs that... Right. In Buffalo, Kansas, they had quail dogs or coon dogs. They didn't have many retrievers. They didn't hunt ducks. They didn't have no. I wonder if that's a, a, a you don't hear many people doing that anymore. I wonder well, if that's something that's kind of dying off. Trespass laws have changed all that. You should just take off down a creek, drop off at one bridge and right, and hunt down to the other and then come back up the other side or something and uh-huh. get cold, stop and build a fire you know, like you're saying, though, things are different, though. And, and, and people today, especially people that are under 30, they don't rem- they don't understand how different the birds are. The bird population is completely different. When I was a kid, we live in one of the areas right now that has one of the greatest concentrations of Canada geese and speckleways wintering grounds. We winter anywhere from 100,000 to a million birds, depending on what years. In the last 20 years, that's the, that's the, the numbers we're going to have. Well, when I was a kid and we would come up here in the late 70s, there would be 100,000 ducks here maybe. I mean, but there and there might be 10,000 geese. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, you didn't see fields that are covered with geese like you do now and the duck fields and stuff. I mean, they had places that had them, but it was very rare. Right. And and like Dad was talking about, the people back then used to eat, hunt a lot to eat. Shotgun shells were cheap, and people hunted, and it was very common. And... You didn't have, there wasn't deer everywhere, so there wasn't deer leases. There was deer were very few and far between, even where we live at now. So not everything was leased up. Right. And everybody in town knew who everybody was. And so like, Dad, I'm assuming y'all could just go wherever you wanted. Nobody really said much. No, we did. (laughs) We had a quail lease. It was about 80 feet wide and about 300 miles long. But do you ever remember someone telling you, no, you couldn't hunt on their land? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Been run off a lot of places. When you was a kid? Yeah, I got used to get run off. Your headphones fucking up? Yeah, it's backwards, Dad. I got one of them turned over. Flip it around. There you go. There you go. One, I used to hunt with my uncle, with my cousin, and he was a pretty big, prosperous farmer. 
in the late 60s, in the 60s, and, and he loved quail hunting. I'd go with him and my uncle, and we'd go down the road, and there's places where he was actually farming the land, and then farmers would run him off it. He didn't have the privilege of hunting right. on it. Really? Oh, that, yeah. That surprises me. Well, every place wasn't like that, because you could ask a lot of places, but some people just didn't want you hunting on their place. Hmm. Well, it's a whole lot different now because it's a lot harder to get places to go. More people now, I think, are not really worried about what you shoot. It's the liability that goes with it because all the freaking attorneys have jacked shit up. Well, up. dogs don't know about boundaries or right. property lines and stuff. And they just, when they're hunting, they go and trailing dogs might go down the river two miles before they break a trail to even hear where they're at. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a television and stuff we have today, all the other things to do today that we had back then. So you had to go outside. That's where all the fun was. Yeah. That's what we did as young boys. What did you, what'd you used to get for Christmas every year? <laughs> One time my mama had $5 to spend for a present, and she wanted to get me something to play with and something to wear, so she bought me a pair of overalls and cut the pockets out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've been hearing that since I was a kid. I didn't feel, realize what he meant until I was about 12, though. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll fly over you. Halloween's coming up. What, uh, what's your, what was your favorite Halloween tradition growing up? Well, we tip over toilets in Buffalo, Kansas. The shitters, the outhouses. Everybody had them back then. Ours was brick, though. They couldn't push it over. <laughs> and a three-holer. Yeah, big old thing. God, it had to be miserable in the wintertime. God, it's, it's breezy, boy. Woo. God, did you ever tip over a shit house with somebody in it? Once, but that was because the guys I ever bragging that that they wasn't going to get his this year. <laughs> and so he sat in it. Yeah, he was sitting in it with a shotgun. I guess he had a shotgun. I don't know, but sneaked up behind it and tipped it over on the door. <laughs> and then what? You just heard him hollering. Oh, she's screaming like hell. <laughs> Some of them had a. <laughs> Some of them had a floor clear back, and they all had a flap, almost all of them, where they could raise it up and take five-gallon buckets and stick in under the deal. Right. And then there were people that had a business going around and cleaning them out for people for a couple bucks or something. And but some of them had a solid floor where when it tipped over, it'd throw that bucket up there, and it'd splatter. Oh. We've come a long way in this podcast, tipping over shitters, shooting <laughs> dogs in the ass. What, what do you think the uh, the quality of the Labrador Retriever and your years of messing with dogs, 30 years of training dogs, I guess, is pretty is that pretty close? Since 1980, that's almost 40. Almost 40 years. What, what's the? Do you think dogs today are better than dogs were back then? That'd be a hard question. I think the training methods is more advanced than, than the dogs yeah i think dog flesh is kind of about the same i i think if you breed quality dogs that are working dogs to quality dogs that are working dogs you're going to get a better a better mix you know you got a better chance of getting a good working dog but that don't mean you can't go to the pound and get a freebie that turned out great just how do you do it how do you handle them now, you've right. got to hunt. You've hunted with field champions. I don't know if you've ever hunted with a national champion, have you? I've trained with one. But have you, you ever never hunted with – but you've hunted with a lot of field champions. Hell, yeah. What, the field champions you hunted with, were they, be, were they better hunting dogs than like Beavis, our dog that we had that was 
or Lou, Andy's dog? No, and the reason why is because of the standards. And when you go to a field trial, you have to go from one little staging area to the next little staging area to the next staging area to your place to, to compete at, your turn to run. And those are high-strung dogs bred to go, 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 go. And it was a struggle just to get the dog to the line where the judges were sitting. Mm-hmm. I mean, they was wanting to go here, here, shut, shut. And you couldn't, you couldn't beat on them in public. You couldn't kick them or anything. They disqualify you. Any, any contact. And if the dog got excited and left early, he's out, eliminated. Hmm. Ed Acock went to the national with a dog named True Mark's Hot Pursuit. Pee Wee was sitting beside him, and he's watching the birds fall on his first series of the nationals. And he looks out there and said, "Judge, there's a dog out there in the <laughs> in the field." He said, "Yeah, it's yours." <laughs> he looked there and Pee Wee was gone. <laughs> uh, Spend all that money and travel halfway across the United States, and then get eliminated before the last bird hit the ground. Mm. Yeah, that's yours. <laughs> but they, they, you know, dogs that want to go is what you want to train. You can you can do a lot of things to help build a fire in a dog, but you can't cram it in them. If they don't want to go get birds, you can do, there's a lot of things. You can make them retrieve, but you can't make them like it. Right. I think it's just like athletes. Yeah. Your kid can work his ass off like Andy wasn't a good athlete, but Zach was. <laughs> and if Zach would have had Andy's work ethic, Zach could probably played pro baseball. Andy busted his ass, but, you know, Andy just wasn't it. He's just not an athlete. <laughs> there's there's opinions. A lot of people ask, is it, would you rather have a girl or a boy or a puppy? It's my belief that a, a little female puppy will get started quicker than a lot of the boy puppies and you know if you start teaching them something at eight weeks and build them up the little females come be ahead of them probably at a year old but i don't think they have the longevity that the males have they'll get the shit shitty attitude and hold a grudge and typical woman that it is i mean sorry to say but i really believe it i think there's a difference okay now just so we know just so we clear this up jeff's calling me out on what I was a three-year starter varsity quarterback. So, Yeah, and if you'd have had Zach's athletic ability, you'd take, have been a four-year starter. No, take that as it – take take that however you want. And you were – Started ba- started varsity baseball all four years, didn't play basketball because I had to make money. You didn't have to make money. You liked hunting. Who doesn't want, who doesn't want money? Well, you didn't have to though. It's not like we made you not play basketball to hunt. No, no, no. no. But Did we? I, I made a I made a business decision at 50, at fourteen years old and said, you know, no, I'm not good at basketball. I'll give you that. You lost your Andy lost his wallet when he was twelve. I'll never forget this. And um, he'd been saving all his tip money. You started guiding, helping guides when you was eight or nine. Uh, and, and yeah, twelve. You were if, basically if the second guide on a hunt on weekends. Yeah, you could run a call and do everything you knew to do, yeah. but Ooh, you couldn't call thunder. the shot. Yeah, but, I didn't get to call because nobody listened to you. The only days I got to call the shot was when me and Ron we would we would always take a party during Christmas break, and I, oh, I wanted to call the shot so bad. <laughs> so I'd sit next to Ron, and he would uh, we'd get him close enough, and I'd be on the call. Ron would be on the flag, and Ron would 
look over and he'd say, okay, you can call it now. And then I'd kill him or take him or whatever. So that was the only time I got to do it until I turned about 16 or 17. Well, uh, anyways, he was about 12 years old, and he came in the room crying one night and told me and Michelle he, he couldn't find his wallet. Yep. I was like, it's not that big a deal. We'll find your wallet. I had my tip money in there. Yeah. And I told him a thousand freaking times, either put your tip money, give it to me to put in the bank, or find a place in your room and hide it somewhere and put it there and keep it there. I go, so we found his wallet. He'd left it at Eric's, your cousin's. Yep. He spent the night. Had $1,200 in He was 12 years old. <laughs> I was like, God damn, I told you to put that damn money up. I want to tell you a funny story about the flag. I don't know if I've ever told the story about Dad and the flag. <laughs> I'm sure you have, but go ahead. We got, we've got we uh, got our our audience is growing leaps and bounds every every episode. So go ahead. Uh, Dad, Dad, a long time ago, believe it or not, due to unpopular opinion on here, I used to be quite the guide. It is raining cats I, I, and dogs out there for the fifteenth time in the last oh, eighteen I fucking, days. I hope my gutter, <laughs> I hope my gutters are holding. But uh, so. I'm guiding hunting. I've got some guys that just want to shoot a trophy speckle belly. And a guy had given me a gallon of Crown Royal for Christmas. I'll never forget this. And this guy comes up to hunt, and he had some of a bitch drank about a third of my gallon of Crown Royal that night. Do you mind if I make me a drink? No, help yourself. Well, fuck, I didn't know he was going to drink a third of it. Mm-hmm. But all he told me all morning wanted to shoot a trophy speckle belly. It's all I want to kill. I, I don't care if we kill any Canada geese. I just want to kill a trophy speck. So first goose in the morning comes in off the lake, and some bitch had been on my ass the whole time. Birds didn't fly real early that morning. They cut the first bird's a single, those scout goose. He comes and he cups up and he just buzzes right in, and and it's hovering at about ten yards. <laughs> and I holler, take it or shoot it, kill it, whatever the hell I hollered. And fucking dad jumps up and pow, turns that some bitch into a pillow. Poof, he falls over dead. And I look at Dad and give him that go-to-hell look. And some more birds are coming. And those guys kind of looking like, what the hell? Is he, are you going to let him shoot all our birds? <laughs> and I'm fucking embarrassed. I'm thinking, God, Dad, it's going to be the biggest, prettiest speckle belly we'll see all freaking day now, probably. And back then, we killed specks, but not like we do now. We we had a lot smaller percentage of specks. Right. Am I telling the truth so far, Dad? Yeah, you. 100%. So I look at Dad. I'm trying to call, and I'm flagging, and... And I look at Dad, and at the time, I used a flag, a T-flag like everybody else has, but I also had a black graphite golf club that I had a square black flag on. And I could wave it above my head and stuff, and I used it a lot. And I'm, boy, I'm freaking mad, and my jaw's all locked down. I look at him, I said, what the fuck are you doing? He goes, well, you said shoot it. Fuck, I didn't tell you to. Don't shoot. Let them shoot. I was like, God dang it, Dad. You know better than this shit. And he's just going, oh, I'm sorry, you know. He's sitting over there, just kind of cowered down. You know, he's kind of dad pouts like a little kid does sometimes. He was pouting when he was upset. And next, and this other, here comes another single, just pops right up, just out of nowhere. And same track, the same. In and, and, and days, it seems like the birds come down the same pipe every day. And here he comes, yeah. locks in, don't even circle, shh, gets about right over the kill hole, and kind of. And and looking back now, we didn't have any speckle belly decoys then. All we had then were Canada decoys. Mm-hmm. And I think back then they were looking for another speck to sit by. That sucker comes in and hovers over it, and I say, "Get him!" And Dad fixing to raise up, and I take that freaking golf club and I hit that hit Dad right across his forearm. <laughs> Dad, God, <laughs> cussing and shit. I'm like, "Don't shoot!" Uh. <laughs> the guy shot the goose, and then we had two or three come in right after that, and. I said, shoot him again. I raised that flag up and looked at Dad, and he put his gun back down. <laughs> About the third or fourth volley of us getting to shoot, I, I, I look at Dad, you can shoot now. And he kind of looked at me, and I said, you can shoot. And I put the flag down, okay. Then he started shooting. But, boy, he was he was as gun-shy as the Kennedys were, that damn flag. 
<laughs> for a little bit. Are you a good shot, Ron? Not anymore. You used to be a damn good. Used to be all right. Have you seen? Uh, Jeff pisses me off at how good of a shot he is. I'm not no more. I haven't been lately. He's been terrible this year so far. But does Jeff amaze you at some of the shots that he makes? I've seen him do some real good shooting. Sure have. You remember that time I shot that coyote with that 30-30 at about 200 yards, Dad, running? It was about 300 yards. Standing up, overhand, what do you call it, overhand, or just standing up, over yeah. rifle. Roll it so much. Now, this till season, he's been god-awful. If, was, if it hadn't have been for me, we, we wouldn't have shot anything. Or Yeah, mojos or till. Listen, <laughs> uh, we'll address this since you're calling me out again. A, a mojo was shot. Saturday morning, the last Saturday of, of teal season. Is that rain on here? It's hearing? raining, you're hearing. Wow. Um, and it, it it could have been me. It could have been Zach. We're undecided. No, I think everybody's decided. We're undecided. Sunday, Zach decides to sleep in. It is freaking raining. Uh, Zach decides to sleep in. We hunt. We shoot another limit. No mojos got shot that day. So... I'll let you guys be the judge. I don't know. I'm just telling you that no mojos were shot the day that Zach was not in the spread. So, that's the story for that. Well, you have shot a lot better duck hunting this year. I'll give you that on the teal hunting. I've been horrible. Absolutely. Matter of fact, my gun's at a gunsmith right now. Oh, yeah. That's the problem. Couldn't no. be your old-ass eyes. No, my old eyes have got a lot to do with it. I just need to shoot more. I'm fixing to start going with Jerry and shooting trap and skeet again. I'm, you, I'm, a, you I'm plan, I plan on hunting a lot more. I'm going to get now at the point where I'm going to have an extra guy here where he can scout a little bit up in Oklahoma. I want to do some afternoon duck shoots. I really am looking forward to well, it. Well, don't, you don't take your gun, Hell, the Jeff. guys aren't supposed to shoot. Yeah, we're not shooting, Jeff. <laughs> These guys are going to let me shoot a little bit with them. I'm going to say, hey, guys, we're busting greenheads. I want to shoot something, too. <laughs> okay. Whatever. I don't care about shooting geese. I don't get excited about shooting a goose, but I love to shoot ducks. Yeah, and this year it's raining again, so. Yeah, I would have been more than happy to go teal hunting again this morning. Well, uh, I, I might have a lot of ducks on our hands this year. If Guys, if you want <coughs> to shoot some ducks, I'm telling you, come to Texas. we got tons of water. We're going to have lots of ducks. Opening weekend duck season here is October 26th weekend, and I still have one spot. I have one group opening left. We got plenty of water, and we should have lots and lots of ducks. Be really good hunting. Before we wrap up, what's your prediction for the year? Well, it's probably going to be longer than last year for me, but I'm I'm excited. I got a one real quick flag story that I've never got to tell. That you, oh, go ahead. We used to hunt with some boys from East Texas sometimes when we first started using flags, but one of them in particular had a flag he'd made that was on a big, like a broom handle. And it was like five foot square, uh-huh. black flag. And we used to hunt. We got some big old wheat fields. People can't imagine. It's, it's is, this, the, is this big-headed Mike D. Woody? That's the one. He'll, he'll be here Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, he's a, he's a good hunter, a good friend, and a good guy. But he he had this flag, and we hunt some of these wheat fields. People that listen to this podcast in a lot of places can't imagine how big some of these fields are. Right. You can watch birds fly for 20 minutes just crossing one field and circling back around and stuff. <laughs> But we'd see flocks of geese fly across the way over, going left to the right, and get up. And he had this flag, and he'd stick it up and just run around in the decoys with it, just mm-hmm. running around and waving that thing. And you'd be surprised how many flocks he turned to get them coming our way and get down and then just do his regular thing. Right. They see that big flag off in the distance. They didn't know what it was, but <clears throat> yeah. 
any kind of motion helps. Oh, I mean, just, you especially take it, when they're way off. How many times you get up and take a piss and they start flying around and stuff? Yeah, a lot of times. And that's what they're, they're just keying in on that motion is what it is. One morning we were hunting and I was with, with a couple young guides and we were having a pretty good hunt over on peanut fields out here and everybody got up and back in those days I didn't have to get up as often as I do anymore. To pee? Yeah, but anyway, we're... Me and this other kid is still in our foxholes, and everybody else is up walking around. And we're on the front line. And look up, and here's these geese, 20 foot high and mm-hmm. 50 feet out. We set up, and we we killed. I shot two, and he shot one. Well, later in the day, I find out that he had a banded goose. Uh-oh. Well, I shot more of them than he did, so what's the chances that maybe right. yeah. I shot it? But I, I didn't care, but little band hogs or something but yeah i'm a th- I, I bet during the 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 late 90s when we didn't do a lot of pheasant hunts yet we didn't do pheasant hunts at first like we do now you goose hunted i'm gonna say nine out of ten mornings probably at least yeah and i'm saying you shot your limit nine days in a row usually i got my share and i'm guessing that if the statute of limitations were up and we had a lie detector test on you shot probably more than you're supposed to a few days because you helped clean up a lot i'm sure I'm sure maybe I might have helped say good shot, buddy. <laughs> so you probably hunted 80 days in a season? Just about. Most of them. At one time, yeah. Uh, there's no telling how many birds you killed. You make a pretty good pile. You killed more oh. geese in your last 20 years than you did in your first 55 years. No, that's no doubt. No no question. The, the goose was an elusive species to the Stanfields back when I was a kid. Yeah. Dad would bust his ass to try to get <laughs> on a goose, and shit never worked. I mean, never worked. My, the first recollection I have of really a chance to kill some geese is I was probably about 10 years old, and we went up to Lake Diversion, and we went way up in that river back in there. And Lake Diversion is owned by the jackass asshole cocksucker that owns the los angeles rams Cronky. that's a walmart heir he's a dickhead Cronky is yep. a walmart heir yeah he's married to a lady that married he married a lot better than we did he probably could give us financial advice he's one of them guys that married money mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways he 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 kicked people off this this lake they've lived at for years he's real he's a dickhead i'm telling you right now so if people like him fuck you no i just i don't care much for the guy but anyways we, we go up this lake diversion it's a private lake there's no roads and the only way is a boat and you had to have a house there to even have a key to get on the boat and we did and we had a friend that had a house and we'd stay up there and we'd hunt but anyways we went up there how, how far was it dad 10 miles at least and it was a long long way and it was like going back in time it was a beautiful big bays and, and they have a river that runs through there that goes from one lake to another and we went up in there and we had a blind that was on our boat and we hunted all day. Dad and them had gotten stuck, and you've told that story before. We took a cooler with food. Dad was the original prepper. After he had to walk out that time, we had a cooler. <laughs> we had freaking parkas, and Dad had uh, paint uh, or cloth, plastic cloth drops and shit so we could build a, a structure and matches. And all kind. He, we had everything. So anyways, we get up there, and we stay there all day, and we, we shot ducks all day long. Mm-hmm. One time we shot like 26 canvas backs when me and dad and Tony were kids. When me and Tony were kids and dad. So I'm telling you right now, any outfitter out there shot some birds that he wasn't supposed to shoot before he got in the business. Since I've been in the business, we don't do that shit. But I was 10 years old. So <laughs> I, I think as a minor, dad, dad's responsible. So yeah. y'all need to come down and talk to him, the <laughs> yeah. game wardens do. Anyways, we, sh- we had a flock. We didn't have a flock. We had three Canada geese. 
And this is right before Christmas. I'll never forget this. And this blind was there, had a little old gap in it. And I hear them, they're circling and they circle and circle. And we had 26 herder floater decoys that we use. I've got a couple in my office right now. And they were beautiful floater decoys. I mean, beautiful. A lot better than the plastic jobs they got now. And, them, and these geese come in, and I look out the window, and I can see them. And they're over the decoys. And I keep waiting. Dad's going to say, shoot them, shoot them, shoot them, shoot them, shoot them. And I watch them some bitches fly right off. Mm. And that was, the, that was my life in the goose hunting. That was we, Oh, shit. We, every time we were going to get on the geese, we could shoot the shit out of the ducks. Uh-huh. There wasn't no doubt. We shot lots of ducks. But that goose, and we, Dad had this old old goose call, and we put decoys up. And we did everything. And we could never kill a freaking goose. Matter of fact, I killed my first goose by myself at Lake Winchester. <laughs> and Tony killed his first goose by himself at Lake Winchester. We sat in a duck blind, two different blinds, and I wanted to shoot a, a goose real bad. And me and Dad and Lane Crow went back and hunted back towards the Clark Lake where we have the, one of them fields. I think it's probably that Stuart Wheat field over there. Mm-hmm. And we set up over there, and it's before they had peanuts out here, on a field the geese were hitting every day, and a cold front came in that night. Now, looking back, I know what happened. The geese went, and they all went south that day. Or they, or they didn't do the same thing they normally do, just like they do here sometimes. Right. Well, the, we didn't kill geese. Tony, Tony went duck hunting. He shot a goose, and we meet there, and he's rubbing it in. So <laughs> Tony goes and helps pick up decoys. So I get to go to the blind by myself, and I shot me a goose. That's my first goose I killed. The first. We the had first 75 one. decoys and thought we had a spread. Well, we did. <laughs> we were big time. But back then, that's, but that's it was a different deal. But That's what you needed. We started goose hunting because the duck limits went down to three or two or three birds for a while. And and so I started goose hunting, and that's where we learned how to goose hunt at. Those were some good old days, Dad. They were. My it was gosh. A lot of fun. Dad had a heart attack on one hunt. I had to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't let me drive back because Fred I was going to kill him. <laughs> we're going to, uh, we'll have to post a picture of some of these. We'll have to post an aerial picture. That way people have a reference of uh winchester and all this other winchester's a famous playa lake up here <coughs> other stuff that's full for the first time in seven years yep they've diverted water from some of our lakes and i never thought it would have old water again and it's as full today as i've ever seen it in my life you seen the mccowan water hole over here off the highway 222 yes it's it was dry three weeks ago that's been it's dry. got a trailer in it too years. now huh got a trailer in it right now oh, there too. is yeah i think a kid was uh uh, clearing brush or something, and he backs his trailer up. Oh heck! And told him, said, "Hey, it's going to rain. You might want to take your trailer out of there. That's a that's a pond on a wet year." <laughs> said, "Ah, oh, it'll be all right." Came back and it was not all. I right. saw it yesterday, first time ever, and I looked back and I thought, "God, I didn't see that. That ain't had water in it in fifteen years, probably. Not well, like it has now. Since nineteen ninety eight was the last time I remember seeing it. Not even that big. One time I've seen geese all over that thing. I remember that." And they fed right there by the Mr. Moore's place. Anyways, we're talking about stuff. People have no idea what we're talking about. Yep. Well. Interfaith Ministries. Coyote Man Clay Reed. Uh, if you've listened to Coyote Man Clay Reed, we've got three episodes with him. Listen to it. We're going to give away a hunt with, with Clay in February. I want everybody to look up Interfaith Ministries. I'm going to have a deal set up, a link, where you can go to our website and you can donate some money. I don't care if it's 2 bucks, 5 bucks, 10 bucks, $20. They do really good things. Christmas is coming in the holidays, and that's our charity we're going to plug for this year. And we're going to do this every year, and we're going to try to help some people out a little bit. And hunters are good people in giving, and I don't care if you can give $5 or $10, just whatever you could give to help 
and we're going to have a way to do it, and I'm going to figure out how to set up a deal, and then we're going to I'm going to give that money to Clay and have Clay take a check to them right before Christmas time. Probably do a GoFundMe account or something. That, like that's that. what that's we'll the do. Way to well, do you it. set that up because I have no idea how to I do that. I don't know how to do. It. I've never set up a GoFundMe account. I'm a, I'm not a big <coughs> fan of GoFundMe's. Well, this is if it's for a good cause, yes. I do it. But have you noticed everybody that freaking dies in the world? They try to make profit off of it anymore. Yeah. That wears me the hell out. Yeah. Let me tell you a little quick Christmas Eve story. When I was a fireman, went to a fire one evening. The house was burning. The lid was burning off of a house. and We got it put out. And you could stand in the living room and look up at the sky and see the stars burn the whole roof off of it. I, somebody found a litter of puppies, and I got them gathered up, and I took them out in the yard and placed them in something under a bush. I think a mama dog perished, but... Anyway, in a little while, the family shows up, and it's just been dark for just a little bit. Mama comes to the door, and she said, what about Santa Claus? I said, well, I got, your, I got your puppies and put them over yonder, and there was some packages under that tree, and, and I, I put them over there. And she said, well, what about Santa Claus? I said, I don't, I don't know anything about Santa Claus. She said, well, he was in the attic. And I said, look up. I said, it's not, mm-hmm. don't look good for Santa Claus. <laughs> but anyway, they had three or four kids. And so some of the firemen from the outside stations, they got to call them back and forth on the radio and call Target and tell them to meet those guys that was with Toys for Tots and we got a nine-year-old girl and an eight-year-old boy, and you know they need need bicycles and, and everything. Get it, and their toys for tots is going to arrange to pay for it. And so anyway, I worked and drove a snorkel out of the downtown station, the biggest station in town, and people started driving up and honking, and they'd have a package for a nine-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Eight-year-old boy. We filled a whole horse bay. Amazing. With with presents and about four hundred dollars cash. Wow. Eighteen wheelers was coming by. That's the most touching Christmas. Yeah. That I ever witnessed. You're emo- you're still emotional about that. It is. It's touching. Yeah. But them kids set the house on fire for Christmas. <laughs> 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 and with we'll we'll end at that. We'll leave you with that. So uh, I've got the grind. Uh, I taught. I mentioned previously before that uh, 2011. I made a video uh, following a season here at the Big Honker Lodge. Um, I'm going to release a hunt a week. I, I can't remember. Like I said, it was in 2011. <coughs> Fucking dog. It was in 2011. So uh, it's seven or eight hunts that I've got done. I'll, I'll release a hunt a week. I'm going to put it on our YouTube channel. It's uh, Big Honker. The there's, there's one hunt out right now, so you can go check it out. Um, it's on YouTube. So go check it out. It's amazing. He's gonna unplug that. It's amazing uh, how young how young uh, I was back then. Crazy, but yeah. Go check that out. Anyways, check us out StanfieldHuntingOutfitters.com. Check out our sponsors. Go to Seven Thirty Seven Duck Calls, guys. Get to do duck call ladies. We got a lot of ladies that listen to. Get you a new duck call. Uh, 
C-Light LEDs will have a video coming out soon on wiring up a trailer and all the lights on it. Garrison Brothers Bourbon, best bourbon in Texas, best bourbon in the world, I think. Get you some William and Chris wine. What else we got there, buddy? And that's it. Just uh, be sure to support those that support us. Cause and, of course, Dive Bomb Industries. Well, of course, that goes without saying. That's it. All right. Thank you very much. God bless y'all. Uh, talk to y'all later this week. Bye. That was a good one, Rob. <laughs>